Welcome, everyone. I am Bob Wurzelbacher, the director of the Respect Life Office for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, and this is our video podcast series that we call Being Pro-Life. Each month, we'll discuss a different topic in the Respect Life arena. We'll hear a personal story from someone deeply affected by that issue. And finally, we'll share ways that you can get involved. This month's topic is the beauty of Catholic art in the Respect Life movement. And this week, we're going to be talking about Our Lady of Guadalupe. As always, we have a special guest. Will you please introduce yourself? This is Father Ethan Moore reporting live to you via phone, Zoom call, and I am ecstatic to be joining you on such a topic that is near and dear to my heart, this image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, this mother of love that has, yeah, just impacted my own life and certainly the entire world in very dramatic ways. So great to be with you. So, Father Ethan, do you have any personal stories you want to share uh, about Our Lady of Guadalupe? You know, being a young guy right out of college, I had myself and a couple buddies. We went actually on the feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe. We flew from like Washington, D.C. to Mexico City on a whim. And we were mountain climbers. We were like all about just yes, experiencing Mary, but we wanted to like capture mountains for Mary. You know, Jesus goes to the mountain to pray. Mary appeared on this hill, Tepeyac. So like, you know what, we're going to go to Mexico city, first climb this mountain. And then for the feast day, be with, be with mom. So myself now, a man who's a Navy SEAL and another guy who's a truck driver, we struck out to what's called Pico de Orzaba, and took a couple buses and a couple car rides and finally ended up at this base camp in which we pilgrimage climbed to this the very top of this 17,000 mountain. It's one of the largest peaks actually in the Americas. It was incredible. The last thousand meters were all glacier. It was this like total ice climb. So we're using like picks and like crampons. And we got to the top and absolutely dead exhausted. It was like five hours of climbing, just absolutely beat. And I could not believe my eyes. It's actually a dormant volcano. And there was a rebar cross, an absolute, like four times the size of a human person, a humongous rebar cross that was planted at the base of the peak. And I could not believe that because I just almost felt like I was going to die getting up there. I can't imagine how anyone carried this thing up there. And it's just like, wow, but that's Calvary, but that is Tepeyac, but that is, you know, transfiguration. That is the place in which, yeah, God does his best work on mountains, as Bishop Barron is quoted for saying. So there is just like this, like beautiful revelation of his presence there with us. And that was helpful because the then Navy SEAL, we were depending on him for water on the way down because he was like the strong ones to so were like, okay, you carry the heavy load until the way down. So all the way up, you got that on your back and we'll drink our water first so that it'll lighten our packs. Well, sure enough, when uh, we were getting ready to leave the peak, we went to get some water out of his pack only to find out that he did not bring any. So we had literally zero water for the hike down. And it was just, we literally, yeah, it was a miracle that we survived. We just prayed to our lady. We prayed to our guardian angels. And yeah, like four hours later, descended into base camp once again, just completely exhausted, just being carried by her love 
and protection. Uh, and then from there, after a giant burrito, we went to the Cathedral Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I remember seeing her for the very first time. You know, this image here is an image of that image. I, I immediately, in walking to where she's placed, I just began to cry just began to weep because it is so dramatically bright and brilliant and not just a picture. It is a presence. Mary is there. And I could just feel her motherly heart just bringing me in as her son. And that's something I'll always cherish and will continue to hope for others that they might know this mom as truly their own. Thanks, Father Ethan. Uh, and I love your, your energy and passion for this as well. But now the first question that might be on some listeners' mind, I've had this podcast for a couple of years now and normally talk to people who have experienced some kind of trauma or crisis over some, some respect life issue, everything from abortion to capital punishment, disabilities. But today we're talking about the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Why is it Our Lady of Guadalupe is a topic for this podcast on respect life issues? I would say, you know, this image of Our Lady Guadalupe is at the very centerpiece, I would say, honestly, as a revelation across all of history, as in a, a, a way that speaks into the love of life at its very core. You know, this image of a mother, that's what it is. It's an image of a mother who's nine months pregnant. She's got this black band uh, sash, you could say. This is me moving my finger like Vanna White. Uh, and that was a depiction, that was a cultural implication in the Aztec society that showed a woman who was pregnant and each band would represent kind of the months along that she was. And so this was an icon of life as a pregnant woman there established in a world that you could say had some pretty interesting takes on life. We know the Aztecs did human sacrifice, that that was an embedded part of all of their way of worship, actually. And so they would bring children, they would bring the weak, the vulnerable to a place of death. And so her entering into death as a of light of life, uh, I think is is a cross cultural now concept of like what is most valuable in in life itself: uh, a mother, a child, a family, um, and and a society that supports that and all of its needs. That's a fan. I love that. I love that answer, Father Ethan. And in addition to that, maybe I'll just throw uh, add that that it's it's always also been you know, an image, an image of hope, an image of hope that we, you know, we turn to Our Lady and we can help transform this culture. Just like in St. Juan Diego, right, was transforming that culture that they were in at that time. We need to transfer our culture today. And the hope that is brought to us by Our Lady and the Incarnation and God becoming a human being, that all gives us the hope that we need to know that we turn to our God to, to turn our culture into a culture of life. Father Ethan, so you you love Our Lady. If, if, if anybody could see this, we've got Our Lady of Guadalupe, an, an image of that right here as well, in our logo for being pro-life. There she is. So how did you come to be so fascinated in sharing your knowledge of the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe? I will say as I 
began to learn and grow in my faith, the story of St. Juan Diego and Our Lady of Guadalupe was so fascinating, so just mind-boggling. Yeah, you just have this pilgrim guy, this kind of bumbly, you know, peasant boy that's like taking care of family, walking back and forth in the desert, probably eating some jerky, you know, just minding his business. And this woman appears to him out of the blue and begins to have this conversation with him, begins to really care for him, love him. I'm sure she was and is stunningly beautiful. And that had an impact on him that certainly he wanted to follow through with. And that leads to this adventure that I think is, you know, better than any novel, because first of all, it's real. And yet it is like totally a way of faith and a way of glory. Uh, as he obediently goes to the bishop, the bishop asks for a sign like, yeah, right. You're talking to a woman in the desert. Yeah. What are you drinking your little cantina there, Wani? And so he has to, as we so often do, to have his faith tested. And yet he persists in that. And Our Lady, Mary, guides him through a way that she brings about a encounter with something that cannot be explained. As he goes to the great hill of Tepeyac and there on December 12th, finds in snow-covered fashion a peak that jettisoning out of it are these beautiful Castilian roses that are not indigenous to the area. And he's like, there it is. Uh, and so he gathers those roses, right? And brings them down in his little feeble hoodie. And as he like takes his hoodie and like opens it up and displays it to the bishop. Yeah, he's got like the coolest image that skateboarders are still looking at and having on their motherboards this day. This image of Our Lady of Guadalupe that is fine-tuned, so detailed, but strikingly beautiful and simple also that it can just naturally speak a message, as you said, of hope, a message of love, a message of a woman that cares for this man, Juan Diego, but every human person as they come to know that that story isn't just Juan Diego's, it's actually all of our story, that she wants to provide a place for us to know her, to know her son, and to experience a vivaciousness to life that is in a place of conversion. So Father Ethan, I'm sorry for interrupting, but you know, for most people probably do know that story, listeners anyway, probably know the story very well, but just in case you're not too familiar with the story, right, just to clarify what happened there. So, so when the bishop asked for a sign and St. Juan Diego, you know, came back to that place, he saw those roses, as you mentioned, and, they, and, and they're not indigenous to the area. It's the middle of winter, you know, that there, that's all the proof he needed. And he gathered those roses into his tilma, you said, into his, to his hoodie, right, that he was carrying. And when he brought that to the bishop and he dropped his, uh, dropped those roses on the floor and opened up his tilma, he was thinking that they were just going to be surprised that they, that he could bring these roses. But what actually happened is right there on his tilma was this image of, of Our Lady of Guadalupe was was there. And that was the proof that the bishop saw. Uh, the roses in comparison, you know, what wasn't the great miracle that they saw. And that very image is what is now displayed right in Mexico City and re been reproduced. So tell us about this image. What is in, in, There's already a miracle that that image was produced, of course, right there on his tilma. 
But what can you tell us about this image that's so miraculous that we're even learning today through science, right? That that tell this is not some ordinary image that Juan Diego might have somehow <laughs> painted on his own tilma, right, before he brought it to the archbishop. Yeah, there's a lot to be said in this image, and I'm no expert, but just highlight the things that really strike me. You know, as mentioned, the Aztec people, we would say were pagan. You know, they worship the gods of nature. Those temples where those human sacrifices happened were gods specifically to the sun, the moon, and the stars. And if you look at the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, we can see it and understand it, but they would have naturally intuited something right away. And that is, first of all, this black kind of semicircular thing here, that is an image of the crescent moon. So they would have known, oh, okay, whoever this is holds dominion over our God, the moon. Then again, we see just this like golden yellow pattern behind this woman that naturally they would have intuited as the sun so that she steps forth and is actually like captivated in the sun and therefore that she is greater than their sun god. And then third to that is she was clothed in the stars and she actually like wore the night sky as her cloak and so mighty is she that she wields them as her own garment. So again, they would have intuited the power of this person. But then the thing that naturally draws a person's eye in this image is that sash, as we mentioned earlier, that depicts her pregnancy. Right underneath that black sash was this particular flower that's not found anywhere else on her cloak that she's wearing. And that flower was distinguished in that culture as like the flower of divinity or the one to whom God dwells. And so they would have acknowledged that actually it's not her who is the God that they should worship, but she is simply the God bearer of the one that is inside her, who is all powerful, all divine, all holy. That's one component, Bob, that I think yeah, no Instagram post could fully capture. But in a real way, this being an image, I mean, I joke about that, but I also think there's something real there that we know how powerful images are, how, how much branding matters. And that from a very beginning point there in 1531, this image of Our Lady of Guadalupe spoke something deeper than just a picture, that it actually spoke a way of life that re-engage this pagan people to enter into a relationship with the one true God and his mother who brought him forth. And this is why, of course, like in the aftermath of the building of the chapel that Juan Diego did and his faithful ministry there, that we know millions, millions of people actually came to believe in Jesus and the church that he gave us here on earth. So, so incredible. I know there's things that we discovered later that you can't tell just kind of looking at that image that like are in her eyes, for example, right? That people have, have noticed later through our, is there anything about that that you can educate our listeners on? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, a co couple finer details that are just so fascinating. One, as you said, is in her eye. I can't do it a Zoom justice because actually scientists 
are the ones that have just clarified and really concentrate on her pupil. And there, even in the smallest form, there's a clarity of what can be found there as it as almost truly like a human eye that reflected in her lens as if there was a still frame snap that took the picture of the moment. And so you can find in her pupil the reaction of the bishop and one of his people as Juan Diego kind of unrolls that tilma, that you're seeing their first sight of that image itself as he presented her to them. So that's something that's really phenomenal. The other thing too is scientists have looked at the star patterns on the cloak and they have been able to discover that the night sky of December 12th, 1531, when the date when this actually happened, that the constellations in the sky are actually perfectly captured on that cloak. But what's fascinating is they're captured not in a way as if, you know, us looking up into the sky, but it's as if they've been flip-flopped and it's as if someone was looking down onto the sky as if from the heavens. But a couple that, like, if you were to follow the pattern, it's really interesting. Uh, there's three that, if you were to follow them onto other parts of her garb, they, like, perfectly fit. One of them, I can't remember which one it is, but, like, actually fits directly in her hands. And it's, like, a, one of the constellations that have to do with, like, the heart. And then, secondly, the one I do remember, the constellation Corona, the constellation of the crown, literally fits on top of her head as you pattern that night sky from 1531. So the queen Mary crowned with the stars of heaven. So pretty, pretty incredible. There's a lot of things you'll probably share some more with us. And then there's a lot of things that you can read about as well. If you want to look up, there's so many things. What else can you remember? You can tell us about this image that maybe wasn't even immediately realized when they first looked at it. Two things about, I guess, herself. When the Spaniards came over and kind of did some, you know, civilizing, quote unquote, or they were just unfamiliar with the Aztec people and were looking to control them. And that was not something that went over well. And there's a lot of unfortunate things that happened. One of those was that some of these Spaniard men would take a Aztec woman and have their way with her. Now, those ladies, though the, the birth of that child was kind of an outcast. And they had a different skin color, obviously a different look, and were not really welcomed by either part of the community there. What's incredible is that her skin tone and her kind of even facial structure captures that class of people that she came as one that would have been forsaken and as a way to speak of the redemption of those people. I think they're called the Mantiza. Pretty amazing. Just, yeah, that God and of course the Blessed Mother, that we're all, all people are welcome into the family of faith. And that actually, yeah, those that are like the lepers that Jesus ministers to and in your great work with the pro being pro-life, those that kind of are on the fringe in one form or fashion. Yeah. That they are the eye. They are the apple of the eye of our Lord. He wants that to be known throughout all of history. Also, it was a thing in the culture 
Well, that little hair part that you see in her head, those people that were virgins actually would part their hair down the middle. And so she is depicted here both as virgin and mother. So the, that whole idea of the perpetual virginity of Mary is actually captured in this image as well. It is an amazing thing, just what all can be found culturally. You know, we know how much cultural references influence us. People who love The Office or Seinfeld, or I'm dating myself here, but you know, we can't help but like incorporate some of the lingo of our times, the shows, the things, the movies, the arts, all of it. And for them, that was a very lived out tradition. And just one final maybe piece to touch on there, we kind of piously look at her hands and see prayer hands, right? Yeah, we that's like how we come to Mass. And you might see people that are serving at Mass hold their hands in that kind of prayerful way, which is true of that culture. But also, this image of hands was very classic to, in the Aztec culture, a movement of dance. So not only is it like an image of prayer, but it's also an image of celebration that like they would have even seen maybe of Mary moving and dancing and, and sharing this gift of the life that she has within her, but also the gift of herself to those that are present to her. You were talking about the, the beauty of that story. Is there a particular book or resource that if people want to read up on that story, just like there's, there's just something particular you want to say, oh, you should read this. Yes, here is a wonderful resource. It's just called A Handbook of Guadalupe. It's get, this gets into like the nitty gritty of all the little finer details, kind of the historical and scientific parts of it and how that played out. This is another book written by Carl Anderson, the Grand Knight of the Knights of Columbus. Him and another guy, Eduardo Chavez, did this Our Lady of Guadalupe, Mother of the Civilization of Love. That's a great book, too, that speaks more of a theological nature that can be gathered from the image. And I will say Christopher West, he has a couple really great videos and podcasts, but he has a series that speaks of like the theology of the body through the lens of Our Lady of Guadalupe. I think it's like three or four, maybe 45 minute episodes. They're phenomenal. Really, really, really good and worth checking out. Now, you can honestly, I think, just find them on YouTube. Terrific. If any listeners are unaware, there's so much more to talk about that image of Our Lady of Guadalupe that is miraculous, that is speaks to that culture, that speaks to today's culture, that show that it's not just any old image that somebody might have painted, you know, that it is truly miraculous. And there's no way that someone, much less St. Juan Diego, could have possibly painted onto that tilma and shown to the Archbishop. It is clearly from God, right, from uh, from Our Lady as well. Any closing thoughts? I love Our Lady Guadalupe. I love her so much. I love her and her beauty. I love her in the communication that she offers the world of the value of life, the, the value of motherhood and femininity, and how that can be a cultural move that can shift the way that we understand everything that is family life and living in a world that maybe sometimes feels pagan or like these secular things that cloud our way of being, our way of thinking that, yeah, 
there's a divine grace found from a relationship with Mary. And I am all about that. So much so that I think it's very pertinent for our times. It's also the image of evangelization that we call Our Lady of Guadalupe, as mentioned, because of the level of conversion. I think we find ourselves in the world today in a time and a need for an image, a way to like rally behind the fullness of life. And I really believe this is one that can have power through its story, through her, through her intercession. And um, yeah, I just want people to receive that and speak it and proclaim it. So much so, Bob, that one of my goals, I might've mentioned this to you in some form or fashion, but I hope to have maybe this year for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, we're doing our bicentennial and that's something that we're coordinating efforts and events around a Marian pilgrimage and consecrations and just coming to know our identity as beloved children of God and what that has to do with this relationship with Mary. So one move I'm just trying to put out there, I have Our Lady Guadalupe like everywhere. I have these like Our Lady Guadalupe car magnets. I'm hoping that it becomes maybe at the beginning of this year and maybe it moves into the future that it becomes like not an uncommon experience on your way to work, on your way like to the grocery store or soccer practice or whatever, that you pass on your travels an image of Mary on someone's hood. I'm open for like, what if we, what if like 500 cars had magnets of Mary? I just think that'd be so cool where it becomes a part of our culture, right? That like this image becomes a part of our culture, our conversation and continues to speak the message of life and hope and joy and Jesus into the world. So that's something I'm personally working on. I know that's like a little just like lobbing that up there, but I, I just am passionate about her and the culture of life. Well, thank you so much, Brother Ethan. If people want to learn more, you already mentioned a couple of books. And I'm sure if you Google Helena Guadalupe, you can find a million websites about her. But but one in particular, if you're looking for something, olg.cc, which of course stands for Helena Guadalupe, olg.cc, that's a parish. If you go through the about section, they give her a great real brief story of, of that story. And then there's another thing, a, a real brief piece on some of the fascinating things in that image you can find on that website as well at olg.cc. It's a great website if you want a quick overview of some of those things. All right. Well, thank you for talking with us today about the beautiful image of Our Lady of Guadalupe and the many hidden and fascinating and miraculous things you can find in it. Hope our listeners learned a lot of new things to better appreciate the beauty of that image and how it is an image for our times and hope for our time speaking to the culture of life. So thanks for spending time with us today. Bob, thank you for an absolutely invigorating conversation and time together to share this beautiful gift that is Our Lady of Guadalupe. I pray that she might bless you and your family and your ministry and all that you do. And we'll thank all of our viewers and listeners for tuning in on this episode of our Being Pro-Life series. Head to the website to view more resources talked about in this episode at www.catholicaoc.org slash being-pro-life. Thanks for spending time with us today, and I look forward to being with you next time.